Amen. Thank you, choir, for that good reminder of the love of the Lord Jesus. If you have your Bible this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 12. There should be a Bible in a pew rack there in front of you. If you find the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and find the 12th chapter. And I'll try to keep in mind Harold the Puppet's request today. I don't know if I can meet that requirement or not, but I'll... Try to be brief because I know you're excited about uh, having lunch afterwards. We're excited to have you. Luke chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12. The story is told of a prosperous young investment banker who was driving his new BMW sedan on a mountain road during a snowstorm. You know, those things don't really mix very well. Snowstorms and mountain roads. And he veered around one sharp curve. And as he did, he lost control and began sliding off the road toward a deep precipice. Now, at the last moment, he unbuckled his seatbelt, he flung open his door, and he leaped from the car. And then the car tumbled down the ravine and burst into a ball of flames. Though he had escaped with his life, the man had suffered a ghastly injury, a horrible injury. Somehow his arm had been caught near the hinge of the door, and as he jumped, Unfortunately, his arm was taken off from the shoulder down. Now, a trucker who was in front of him saw the accident and he pulled his rig to a halt and he ran back to see if he could help. And he found this young investment banker looking down at his BMW, burning in the ravine, going, my BMW, my new BMW. He was oblivious to the fact that he had this pain and this injury. And the trucker tried to bring him back in reality. And he pointed to the banker's shoulder and said, look, you've got bigger problems than your new BMW. We've got to find your arm. We've got to get you to the hospital. Perhaps the surgeon can sew that arm back on. And the banker, he looks up and he looks at where his arm had been. And he groaned and said, oh, no, my Rolex, my new Rolex. Friend, that banker had lost touch with reality. He had lost touch of what was really valuable in life. He was totally absorbed with materialism and possessions and stuff and things that he thought that a car and a watch were more valuable than his hand than his arm. But sad to say, he's not the first to do that, nor will he be the last to value stuff over what's really valuable. The Lord Jesus told a story. A parable here in Luke chapter 12. And I want to spend a few minutes with you this morning thinking about it and looking at it. And if you're in Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking uh, beginning at verse 13 today. If you were to go back and read the first 12 verses, and you may see them in red in your Bible. That means, of course, the words of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is talking to a multitude of people here, a crowd. And we find in verse 13, the Lord Jesus is interrupted by somebody. And we'll pick up our reading there in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Here's what it says. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, this Lord Jesus speaking, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. As one wrote, by answering this man the way he did, Jesus refused to pass judgment upon this situation between between these two brothers. He was competent to do so, but he refused to do so. You know why? 
He wanted to deal with that man's deeper issue, namely that man's materialism, that man's greed, that man's covetousness. And then he goes on to share a parable. This parable has been known by many as the parable of the rich fool. That's the common name of it. We're going to call it today the parable of the foolish farmer. Now, let's understand real quickly. What is a parable? What is a parable all about? Well, in reality, the simple definition of a parable has been given is this. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Let's read the parable together. If you have it open, look with me. If not, listen carefully. I'm going to read it to you. Beginning at verse 16. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's think about this farmer for a few minutes this morning, beloved. Notice, first of all, the farmer's prosperity. Now, what happened? In reality, this farmer in this parable had a bumper crop. It says specifically back in verse number 16, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. We would understand that and assume that to mean he was rich even before he had the bumper crop. Now, nothing at all is said here about this farmer getting rich by dishonesty or deception or cruelty. And please understand there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having money. Uh, It is when the money has you rather than you having the money when the problems really begin to start. The love of money is the root of all evil. But this man here, he's rich. Nothing in all said about him getting it by dishonest gain or cruelty or deception. He's a rich man. He's a farmer. He has a bumper crop. Now, what happens in the world's eyes? This man was a success. This man is one who had accomplished what so many long for and even dream about and wish for. Able to buy things and able to have things and able to have a luxurious life. The desire of many people today. (laughs) Perhaps you heard about the time when the preacher dropped in on a family unexpectedly. And wanting to make a good impression, the lady of the house instructed her little daughter. She said, honey, please run and get that good book that we love so much and bring it to me. Bring it here. And so this obedient daughter, she taught herself to go get that good book. And she returns in a minute with triumph on her face. And the Sears catalog in her hand <laughs> and brought it. And said, Here's that good book. So many are like that. There's so many things we want and desire. And this man here, this farmer is prosperous. The farmer's prosperity. But notice his problem. The farmer's problem in verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. His problem was he had too much. He said, well, that's my kind of problem, preacher. I'll take that problem. I'd love to have so much wealth, I wouldn't know what to do with it. But that's where this man found himself. He was prosperous. He had a problem here. What do I do with all my wealth and all my goods in this bumper crop? But notice the farmer's plan beginning in verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. 
And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. Here's his plan in a nutshell. Pull down the old barns. By the way, I'm glad I'm in Anson County. And I'm glad I'm in this area preaching this because you guys understand this. People in the city, what's a barn, right? No, no, we know what this is. Pull down the old barns. I'm going to build greater barns. I'm going to store all my stuff in those greater barns. And I'm going to retire. That was his plan. What a plan. That's the American dream, isn't it? They have so much stuff and so much money and so many possessions. And they have so much resources at our disposal. We can retire early and take it easy. We can eat and drink and be merry. To be successful. To enjoy luxury and wealth. So we have the farmer's prosperity, the farmer's problem, but the farmer's plan. But the fourth thing we've got to consider today. And that is God's pronouncement. You see, the farmer's been talking all along here, but now it's time for God to say a word or two. And we find God's pronouncement in verses 20 and 21. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, listen, what did God say about this man's plans? He said God called him what? A fool. God called him a fool. Now, the question today is why? Why did God call this man a fool? Is there anything wrong with honest business? No. Is there anything wrong with making an honest living? No. Is there anything wrong with proper and wise investments and savings and even preparations for the future? Anything wrong with that? No. What was it then that made God call this man a fool? Simply this, beloved. He forgot God. He forgot God. Listen to some other scripture. Psalm 14, 1. The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Psalm 53, 1. The fool have said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they. They've done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. You say, wait a minute, preacher. This man never once in this parable, never once says there is no God. And you're right. We never hear him verbalize that. But look. He certainly lives like there is no God. And I want to show you why that is. Go back with me again. Let's look at those verses again. And I want to show you how this man lived. Notice, first of all, there's no concern for the praise of God. Look at verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, let me ask you something, friend. Who causes the sun to shine? God does. Who causes the rain to fall? God does. Who causes that seed to sprout forth and to grow? God does. Who's in charge of all these things? God is. But notice we never read once this man pauses and says, praise be to God. Thanks be to God. What a wonderful crop. What a wonderful harvest. We never read that. No concern for the praise of God. Notice, secondly, no concern for the will of God. Verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? You see, he thought within himself, he consulted his favorite counselor. You know who his favorite counselor was? Himself. He said, what shall I do? 
Obviously, I'm the smartest. I'm the wise. I have the answers. He consulted himself. No prayers went up for direction. No prayers went up discerning and seeking to discern the will of God. No concern for the will of God. Thirdly, I want you to notice there's no concern for the glory of God. This man was not concerned about God's glory. He was concerned about the glory of himself. I want you to notice as I read through these verses again, I want you to notice all the personal pronouns. I want you to see this man had an eye problem. Look at verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry. This man had an eye problem. I, 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 my, my, my. No concern about God's glory. No concern about anybody else. Me, I, my. His favorite poem was probably this one. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. Twas very small, three guests and all, just I, myself and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. Twas also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. That's where that man lived. No concern for the praise of God. No concern for the will of God. No concern for the glory of God. Notice, fourthly, no concern for the work of God. Verses 18 and 19 says, this is what I'm going to do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater. I'll bestow all my fruits. I'll say to my soul, you've got all this laid up. Take thy knees, eat, drink, and be merry and have a great life. Now, let me ask you something. Surely, surely don't you think there were some poor people around him? They could have used a little bit of that bumper crop, that excess food. Certainly there were godly things and projects and places he could have given some money to. But he says, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prepare luxurious life for me. I'm going to tear down and build greater barns. I couldn't help but think of what Tony Evans once wrote. Tony Evans uh, is a preacher. He said, we have got to be the only country in the world that builds storage facilities so that people can rent space to house stuff that their houses can no longer hold. We literally pay rent to keep stuff because we accumulate so much. Tony Evans says, if you have some money to invest, build a storage facility because people accumulate stuff for stuff's sake. They don't take stuff they no longer use and share it so somebody else can use it. They accumulate it, save it, and pay rent to keep it. And he concludes by saying this is the ultimate expression of selfishness, keeping stuff for stuff's sake. We have things in our homes that we'll never use again and we just keep them. It's a shame. And I thought, man, wow, I think he hit the nail on the head on that one. He didn't care about anybody else but himself. No concern for the praise of God, the will of God, the glory of God, the work of God. And notice fifthly here, no concern for living a life that pleases God. Look at what he says at the end of verse 19. Here's his desire. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I don't care about serving God. I just want rest and relaxation. Now, let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with rest and relaxation. You ought to have some rest and relaxation. But, beloved, that is not life. That is not the sum total of life. 
If all you're looking forward to in this life is to get to the point where you can quit working and sip lemonade in the shade, that is sad, friend. God wants us to live abundant, productive lives. Even after you retire from your vocation, he wants you to live a life for glory, for his glory. But there's no concern for living a life that pleases God. And notice, sixthly, I think maybe the saddest of all, there's no concern for his eternal future. Verse 20, God begins to speak and God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He only cared about today and his immediate tomorrow, but he failed to prepare for eternity. He said, hey, I'm going to prepare for years, but I, he failed to prepare for eternity. Warren Wiersbe, a great Bible teacher, said, how do you respond to the death of the boastful farmer? He writes, we're prone to say, too bad this fellow died just when he had everything going for him. How tragic that he could not finish his great plans. But Wiersbe says this, the greatest tragedy is not what this man left behind, but what lay before him. Eternity without God. The man lived without God and died without God and his wealth was but an incident in his life. You understand now why the Lord said way back in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. This man may have had success in the world's eyes and he may have been looked at very successful farmer. He was a rich man, but God called him a fool. He was selfish. He was self-centered. He lived for today and not for eternity. He was a success in the world's eyes, but he was a miserable failure in God's eyes. God says this man was a fool. Let me ask you today, friend. And I want to be real straight with you right now. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? To you, what is the measure of true success? Are you today following in the footsteps of the foolish farmer? You say, well, preacher, you've got you got it wrong. I'm not wealthy. And by American standards, you, you probably are correct by American standards. By the way, by the world standard, we're all wealthy in this room. But by American standards, I'm not wealthy. But is that your desire? Let me ask you this question. Don't answer aloud. I don't embarrass you. But let me ask you this question. What would you be willing to do for $10 million? Think about it in your own heart and mind. $10 million. How far would you go? What would you do? If I had $10 million to give to you, what would you be willing to do? Think about it. They did a survey. The survey was called The Day America Told the Truth. And here's how people answered. One out of four respondents said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week for $10 million. 16% said they would leave their spouse for $10 million. I want you to hang on for this one. 3% confided they would put their children up for adoption 
for $10 million. Do you see why the Lord Jesus said in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, what about you? Do you really believe what so many Americans believe today, that money is the answer? Do you really believe that money and lots of it will bring the peace that you're longing for in your heart and life? Now, millions of Americans believe that and long for that and work for that and strive for that and are willing to go to great lengths for that. They think that is the answer. God says differently, he says in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. While some have coveted after, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. There's a void in your heart today, friend. And you can try to fill that void with stuff and money and possessions. Some try to fill that void with drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality. Some try to fill it with sports and all kinds of things. You name it, but it will not be filled by those things. I want to tell you today, friend, and hear me, hear me well. Jesus Christ is the answer. Jesus Christ is the one you're looking for. Jesus Christ is the one who can fill that void in your life and bring that peace that you long for. He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Dwelt as a man among men, the God-man. He lived a sinless, perfect life. He voluntarily laid down his life on an old rugged cross for you, friend. He shed his precious blood that we might have life. He died. He was buried. But then he arose again victorious and he lives today. And because he lives... You can live. And I want you to understand something, friend. He longs for you to have eternal life. And this gift, it is a free gift. It's free for the taking. That was costly. The greatest price ever paid. The death, burial, resurrection, the blood of the Lord Jesus. But he makes it free to you and to me. Listen, you cannot earn it. You cannot earn it. You can't work hard enough, pray hard enough, do anything. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. For 10 million or 10 trillion. It's not for sale. It's not something you can purchase. It's already been paid for by the blood of Jesus. You can't bargain for it. You can't say, God, let's make a deal and and I'll do this and that. No. It's a free gift. Free for the taking. Free for the receiving. You say, preacher, how do I do it? You repent of your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You repent. Say, I don't want my sin anymore. I want the Savior. And you place your faith, your trust totally and completely upon his finished work, his righteousness. The price he paid for you. Jesus loves you. That song that maybe you remember from a child, you've heard children sing. Wonderful truth. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. And that's you, friend. You can write your name right there. If you'll believe today, you will have eternal life.
And I wonder today as we close. Is God the Holy Spirit working in your life? Do you feel that tug, that conviction? That realization that I'm lost. I don't have that peace. I don't have the Savior. Well, friend, I want to invite you today. To come and trust him and him alone. You see, that's the greatest gift there is to receive. That's what we want you to know. That Jesus Christ loves you. He purchased your pardon, but you must trust him by repenting of your sin and placing your faith completely and totally in him. And that, friend, is the invitation today. I want to ask you to do this. Would you just bow your head and close your eye? Close your eyes. Nobody looking around today. Nobody stirring. Just want to talk to you for just a moment between you and God. I wonder how many be honest today when nobody's looking around. Let me, let me make a promise to you. I'll do nothing to embarrass you today. I'll not come to you. I'll not point you out. I'll not chase you down. But I wonder how many be honest today while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. A moment I'm going to invite you to come. But right now, how many would say, preacher, I'm going to be honest with you and the Lord today. I don't know for certain that I'm born again. Or I know that I'm not. There's never been a time in my life where I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Repented of my sin and placed my faith in Him. I need that peace that you talked about. I need that forgiveness for my sin. I need Jesus as my Savior. Does it matter if you're somebody who's been here every Sunday for the last 50 years. Or somebody who's for the very first time. I wonder. Would somebody just say, I want to be honest between you and the Lord, preacher. I don't know Jesus as Savior. Would you just lift your hand where you are, slip it up, and write back down. God bless you and you. Who else today? Slip a hand up and say, God bless you. Who else? Anybody else? I don't know that my sin is forgiven. I don't know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Anybody else? I'm going to be straight with you in just a moment. I'm going to pray. We're going to have an invitation song. I'd invite you to step out today. And I'm going to be right down in the front here. I'd love to talk with you about this. We have folks who would love to take a Bible. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be shy about. We have folks that love you. That would love to share the gospel with you. And you may have come here today lost. But you can leave this building on your way to heaven. And know it. And be assured of it. And go forth rejoicing. In a moment, we're going to invite you to come. And we're going to sing a closing hymn. And I invite you to come. And there will be those who will pray with you and help you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for these hands that went up. Of folks that are just not sure or know that they're not saved. I pray, Lord, you give them courage to come and talk with somebody about this. Lord, as the Holy Spirit is working, I pray that they would trust Christ alone. Remove hindrances. Remove Anything that would hinder, Lord, just work in a mighty way in the Savior's name. Amen.